Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We're recording this show on Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016. So, Ronaldo, lots to talk about, but the most globally significant event takes place in six days when voters in the U.S. will decide between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. A few weeks back, the polls were indicating a Clinton landslide, but the gap in key swing states has closed with a national tracking poll indicating a tied election and swing state polls indicating a possible path to victory for Donald Trump. Election forecasting guru Nate Silver at 538 this morning is putting the odds of a Trump victory at about 30%. So let's start start there and see how we can be helpful as people consider what to do to protect themselves and their families. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you, Matt. Um, first of all, I'm really delighted that Nate Silver sees uh, Trump at 30% because that makes a great deal of what I'm about, going to talk about less scary. Um, so uh, let me let me just explain that. I, right, and this this show is going to be one of the two most important shows we'll ever record. The next most important word, the other one that will be of equal importance, is the bookend of this, the one that we record next after the election, because everything is up for grabs now. Uh, I wanted to share with people, um, and, and I'm going to end with some good news. And by the way, I'm going to end with some really practical news. I'm going to tell everybody on this broadcast exactly what I've done in the last week to protect myself from these uncertain financial times. And I will share that information in case some of you wish to copy what I'm doing. Um, so stick around to the end of the program and you'll hear how I'm, I'm, I'm preparing for the possibility of a titanic clash of cultures which goes the wrong way. Now let me start by saying I don't think that clash of cultures is going to go the wrong way. I think it's going to go the right way. Uh, but I think you have elevated in my mind, in the last show we did a month ago, I said, you know, this is the most important election in the history of the presidency. In fact, it's gone beyond being an election for president. It's gone into being a clash of cultures. You're now seeing that play itself out in some of the most dramatic and, uh, and, and really unfortunate ways. Uh, we, are, we are sitting at a time where probably without the intent of doing something really evil and terrible, uh, the sitting attorney general of the United States has permitted himself to be used by Republican forces. He's a Republican, but I think he's being used more by uh, bull weevils inside of his organization who have been threatening him, cajoling him, and moving him to take an imp- and create an impact on this election mm. with his highly inappropriate announcement uh, relating to the possibility, listen to this, the possibility that Iba, Iba, um, Ubedin might have some of Hillary Clinton's emails on a server belonging to Anthony Weiner. So we're not even talking about emails that we know that came from Hillary Clinton's server. We're talking about the remote possibility that some did, that somehow they got there, and somehow they are of, of material value. So that's a something of maybe based on a maybe based on a hypothesis, based on a hope for. And never in the history since J. Edgar Hoover has the head of the FBI just before an election like this thrown a bomb like that in the middle of the room, uh, either with the intent to affect the outcome of the election, because clearly he's doing that, or if he hasn't got the attempt with the foolishness to not realize that what he's doing is affecting the outcome of the election, because it's clear the race has been tightening. Now, why is this so significant? As I said on the show last month, and the data has gotten only worse since then, this clash, which either ends up with us deciding to go forward as a nation in alignment with our historical values, or we will turn the clock back because the Civil War never ended, and this will be the most recent battle. So you have forces of regression, of sexism, of racism, isolationism, the classic know-nothing anti-immigrant policies, being articulated by an individual for whom even all but his most ardent supporters have absolutely no respect whatsoever. So this is an individual who the rest of the world cannot even understand as a candidate, let alone with the breath of the hair's breadth of the presidency, let alone within a moment of the, the computer codes. But that's not, I'm not as worried about the computer codes on nuclear, or probably I should be. The nuclear codes, yeah, the launch codes. The launch codes. What I'm more concerned about is if he were to be elected, and you see this now in the last week or so, as the race has tightened, 
the financial markets have gone really, really nervous. They, they, the possibility of a Trump victory is so destabilizing to the markets that even the possibility when he's at a third of a chance is causing the markets to go sideways and down. Because Republicans, Democrats, independents, everybody I know on Wall Street believes that the financial, the global financial system is too shaky right now to be able to withstand a Trump victory. Mm. And that what will happen if he were to win if he, on, on the 8th of November, the markets will crash on the 9th and they will never recover. And you will be in a worse recession than 2008 instantly. It will be global and I predict it will be worse than the Great Depression. So that's what's coming. And, and if you would like more information, I would love to chat about what's going on in the global financial world because the global financial system is in shambles. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that we have time to go into it today, but I would just point out, for example, that when the strongest bank in Europe, one of the strongest banks in the world, Deutsche Bank, is hopelessly underwater, and everybody knows it. All of the private equity players pulled their money out two weeks ago. Everybody is running for cover on Deutsche Bank because... If there were a financial hiccup, which the Trump election would cause for a certainty, it is entirely impossible, in my way of thinking, to avoid a run on Deutsche Bank because they're, they're what are called county counterparties to $47 trillion worth of, um, of derivatives. So, let's talk about that a little bit, Renaud, because I want to I go into the financial implications of, the, of a destabilizing Trump victory. And... You know, I, like you said in the last uh, radio show, this this election is different, and it's you know this isn't about Republican versus Democrat. This is about the Constitution and the future of the country. Uh, with that in mind, can you talk a little bit about why Wall Street's so nervous? Because so many people see Donald Trump as a business guy. His whole claim is that he'd be great for the economy. What are they What are they seeing that some uh, voters on the uh, in the Trump camp are not seeing? Well, remember, I mean. <laughs> People in New York have been watching Donald Trump up close for the last 30 years. And the people in New York all realize, knowing Donald Trump as they do, that he's not a businessman at all. He's an entertainer. He's a, a reality TV star. He couldn't run a business as if his life depended on it. Every business he's ever run personally has gone bankrupt. And in fact, uh, had he not, he's been going around saying, you know, well, I've used the tax laws appropriately and therefore I don't pay taxes. Actually, he didn't use the tax laws appropriately. He's also gone around saying, well, if Clover didn't like the way the law works, he should have changed it. The law got changed just so people couldn't do what he did because the, the, the Congress thought they blocked this massive loophole. And the loophole is simply this. He took money, hundreds and hundreds of millions, over a billion dollars of other people's money and lost it and declared their loss as his own, going through a loophole that even his tax lawyers knew was probably questionable, and it was. But just so that it could never happen again, they actually changed that loophole to make sure that no one could ever go through it, not knowing that Trump had gone through it, but they changed it years ago. So Hillary Clinton actually voted to change the one loophole that he used to give himself a billion-dollar deduction, and he, I'm not sure he was qualified for that deduction in the first place. Right. So, so you're talking about a guy that the entire business community is extremely familiar with. I've never met a business person in my life who considers Donald Trump a business person. Anybody. We all think of he's what he is. He's, he's an entertainer. He's a showman. He's an impresario. He's a television reality star. Uh, he clearly is a, a compulsive liar. He's also a sociopath. Clearly, dictionary definition of a sociopath. He, um, he is, uh, he's a person who, is, who viciously cuts and slashes as a way to get ahead and leaves one victim after another in his wake. His words, you're fired, in The Apprentice, were exactly how he enjoys to look at the world. He loves having the power to hurt other people and to end their dreams. And that he's coming this close to ending the American dream is astounding to me. Uh, but more importantly, it's astounding to everybody in Europe. I mean, the people in Europe are, are, are going crazy right now. And they can't believe that we, I mean, they thought we were nuts with George Bush twice. But now, I'm talking about W, not the father. The father, I think, was a pretty good president. Uh, w, uh, they, they thought we could never go crazier than that. And here we have. Right. So I think that what you're going to have is, and by the way, I do not think under any circumstance, Trump victory or no victory, I don't believe the Republican Party will survive this election as you know it. There are going to be three parties in America. There are going to be the Trumpy slash uh, Tea Party, which probably represents at least 60%, let's say, of the existing Republican House. 
and a, and a, and a handful of senators. Then you're going to have a traditional Republican Party, uh, which we'll call the party of Ryan and the party of, of uh, Grassley and people of that type, McCain, which is not a particularly great compliment, but that's going to be the middle of the Republican road. And then you're going to have a Democratic Party, which I think is going to be unified on dramatically changing where we stand so that the underlying conditions that brought this on get addressed and eliminated. Let me give you an example. Well, let me, let me get to go there for a second because I think it's really an important prediction. Uh, and we're, we're talking about the change in the balance of power essentially in the country. Yes. Uh, and, and it's really interesting because all the indications that we're, we'll talk about the economic indications later, but the demographic indications and the social implications are that this is really, again, an unprecedented and almost potentially a last gasp for some of these older, whiter populations that are that have been the Republican base for so long, and, and it's possible that you know this is going to be a, a a different kind of election because some of the forces of the so-called alt or alternative right which I like to call the Nazis because that's actually what they are. And they think of themselves that way. I and mean, they, you saw, by the way, the KKK KKK publicly endorsed Trump yesterday, happily so. Right. And they said, let's make America great again. They mean bring back the white sheets right. and the burning crosses. Exactly. And let's go back to a time when we could say and do horrible things to anyone who's not white. To anyone of and who's not a man. Uh, this, is, this, is a, this is a split within the Republican Party because there are some Republicans who don't Stand for and don't appreciate that type of behavior, and but they haven't, if, you know. But Matt, but they haven't had the courage no, to stop it before it got to this. Because point. as we talked about yesterday, you know, Republicans' bottom line is they they want power, yeah. uh, and politicians in general want to be elected. So I'm concerned that there won't be a split, and that the Republicans will get captured by these Trumpies, uh, and that this is going to be the new face of of, of the other party in the United States. Um, we'll see. I think well, it's I mean, going to be really interesting. The way you're going to see is um, I don't think Ryan can get elected speaker without Democratic support. I don't think he's got enough votes in his caucus. So that means he's got to make a deal with the Democrats if he wants to be speaker. And if he doesn't make that deal, some other Republican will because that Republican will have enough of the Republican traditional votes together with the Democrats to become Speaker of the House. So it will be a Republican speaker, but it will be a Republican speaker who sees their future in making the country work better, not in stopping it. So, yeah, the, well, you're right. The next show is going to be really interesting when we talk about the rebalancing of power mid-November when we see what, what's going on after yeah, this. Yeah, and also because the people are losing track of the fact that the economy continues to outperform people's fears. Now, I believe the economy is going to take a little bit of a dip this month, uh, probably starting about two weeks ago, because people got scared, just like the market. And they're starting going, oh, my God, I better protect myself, just like I have now started protecting myself and my family. And that has a negative impact on the economy. Okay, So um, here we are sitting at a time when we had a 2.9% GDP growth in the third quarter. Now, this is the only program on the air anywhere that was predicting last November that we'd end the year at 3%, okay? Uh, later on, I came back it off to 25 when the when we had so many hiccups in the first and second quarter. But I said, I still think it's going to be 2 to 3%, and it turns out we're at 2.9 right now. We would, but for the Trump narrow potential of a victory, we would be for sure beyond 3% in the fourth quarter. The fear that Trump is engendering, however, will cause that not to go that high, I believe. In addition... When Trump loses, assuming that he does, I believe there will be violence. Uh, the former congressman who said, uh, I'm going to vote for Trump on the 8th, and if he loses on the 9th, I'm going to get my musket. Are you with me? That type of uh, violence is something I anticipate, particularly because the Bundy brothers were let go of for reasons I still can't figure out when they took over with an armed rebellion, the Oregon Preserve, the, the Wildlife Preserve. So I'm really expecting violence post this election. I think we can mop it up. I think we're a strong enough country to do that. And with the strong leadership, which means Obama will be able to act like a president in, in, in a crisis because right now he's got to keep his hands tied so it doesn't look like he's trying to help Hillary. But once Obama is freed, November 9th, he can start acting like the leader that I know he's capable of being. Hillary will come in, hit the deck running as a very strong leader, stronger than Obama, I believe. And, and I think with incredible talent. I am, I've always been an extremely ardent pro-Hillary supporter, 
totally a part of who we're appointed to. So I don't see it as a lesser two evils at all. I see one person constantly prepared, trained, and frankly, I got to tell you, who's handled the amount of mud thrown at her in the last 30 years, particularly the last six months, brilliantly. Yeah. I mean, she's quite a strategic thinker and a tactician, and, and she's a steady keel person. But here we are. It's a 2.9% GDP growth. Now, the other statistic I want to give people, remember this, folks. Medium household income went up by 5.2% this last year. In 2015, that, yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest uptick. What well, was just reported because it had to get the full year numbers. Right. Um, that's the biggest increase in the history of records being kept on the subject, which goes back to the early 60s. We've never seen a 5.2% increase ever before. So you're talking about a com- an, an economy that's now picking up momentum. Why? It's very easy to understand. This is what I predicted a year ago. Once the it was clear that the worst efforts of the Republicans to try and slow the economy down and stop Obama and, and act like a blocking force to government, once it turned out that, they, that, 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 that the private sector figured out how to work around that, we have such a robust, robust private sector, which I'm part it began to find ways to continue to push the economy even as more and more civil servants were being laid off. And then when I said what would happen is, because of that, you'd see rising tax revenues, which we've now seen in the last year. Those rising tax revenues would allow states to, to cure their bond ratings and, and, and become healthier. Clearly, California is the best example because we've gone from sick bond ratings three years ago to the healthiest bond ratings in the country. And with positive, we have so many positive surpluses in California now, they don't know where to put them all, literally. They're fighting about what to do with the extra because the, the rainy day fund's already full. Okay, When you see that, that, that 5.2% jump, and then you add to it, we're at 5% unemployment. So 5% unemployment means that there's virtually, every time you lose a job, you're going to get another job almost immediately at or above the same pay. And at the same time, we have a, a continuing rise in the minimum wage which is pushing the bottom wages up, which is pushing the wages up above them. So you have a classic wage price inflationary spiral starting to happen. The Fed understands that. As soon as the Fed knows which way the election is going to go, they will raise the rates at least a quarter of a point. There'll be several more raises after that. As the Fed begins to recover some of its flexibility in monetary policy. Many of you who listen to the show for years have known that I and many of the people here at the Academy, Hazel Henderson, Bernard Latier, Bill Seacrest, and others, are avid financial monetary theorists. We love that stuff. It's really arcane, but we love it. And what we're seeing is the beginning of the healing of something that's been broken since 1865. So it, the, the Southern strategy that Nixon launched in the early 70s, which was to bring the, 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 the racist elements of the South into the Republican tent for the first time since the Civil War, as a way to create national power has now collapsed. So what's going to happen is you're going to be left with a Southern strategy, which is the core of Trump's support. You will see within four years, people will come to their senses in places like Ohio and Wisconsin and Michigan. They're going to go, oh boy, we got taken for a ride there. This fast talking TV star really really turned our heads. But you know, the economy's getting better. We, we were lied to when we were told Ford was moving all those jobs to Mexico because it turns out Ford isn't moving a single job to Mexico. They're building a new plant in Mexico. All the old Ford jobs are staying intact. Ford's been a net employer for the last 10 years, eight years. So all those things are driving the economy forward. And now we're rehiring civil servants, meaning people like policemen and firemen and teachers. And that's adding to the growth. So once this election's over, and we have strong leadership back in Washington, I'm predicting what will happen is, and this is why I want to do the show in a month, I'm predicting that you're going to see a dramatic increase in economic well-being across the board in 2017. And what will happen is the third of the Republican Party that wants to stay traditional will start making deals with the Democrats to take credit for some of what's going to happen anyway. Interesting. And then last but not least, I have a novel theory which I want to give to the Hillary campaign once it's over. I want to go there. Let's, let me just comment on what you just said, though, about the economy because and, and ask you a question here. But let's, go, let's definitely get to your theory about how to deal with the Senate. Uh, here's my question. So we've had strong income growth last year. And we've had unemployment down last year and this year to structural full employment. Why then is Trump's message resonating so strongly with the people who are left behind of that in that economy? Is that what it is? Or first, first of all, there's a misconception here. People think that the average Trump voter is somehow an angry white person making less than forty-five thousand a year. Not true. 
uh, I think the average Trump voter makes about 70000 um, so they haven't been left behind. But they're angry. And I'll tell you why they're angry. They used to live in a country, and, and they're, they feel like they've lost their country. They did. They lost the country of white privilege. But that's what the Civil War was about. And so they've been hanging on all these years. Why do you think those Confederate flags hang on the state poles in Georgia and North Carolina? Why do they keep doing that? Because they never ended the war. The way they were thinking, they put up with a, with a, with, with a couple of battle losses. They put up those flags after the Civil yeah, Rights but, Movement. Yeah, but the real, but the yeah. real war is not over to them. See, the, the real war to them is to take back white male privilege. It's that simple. And, and, and for those people who, like myself, who's a white male with daughters, I am not interested in bringing back male privilege. I got three daughters and one son. I want to bring back a country more like colonial America, uh, which apart from the stain of slavery, which they didn't understand at that time. But, and uh, the genocide of the native people. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm talking about is the, the, the attitude the of the white people then at the time was more about seeing each fellow citizen as a fellow citizen. That led to the miracle of the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Now that we know the Declaration of Independence covered all people, not just white people and not just males, once you accept that expansion, which I think everybody... Except Trump voters do. And maybe Scalia, but he's gone now. He's gone. So once you expect, accept the expansion, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that yeah. all people... Okay, well, when you say that, and it now we know it means women and it means people of color, all of a sudden, the possibility for what John Kennedy called that shining, gleaming city on the hill, Camelot, can be restored, finally. So we're coming out of this very, very dark period, and I am looking forward to doing a prediction because I suspect once this election is over, despite the violence, which we'll be calibrating, you're going to see a spurt of growth in the U.S., and it's going to trigger a similar spurt of growth in Europe because the Europeans are now fed up with uh, austerity, and they know it was a, a mistake, and they don't know how to get off of it, so we have to help them get off of it. You're going to see a change in the relationship with China, which is going to improve for a bunch of good reasons. And you're going to see a reset on the relationship with Russia, which has to happen. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about your Senate strategy here, Ronald, since we're talking about politics. There's been a real serious uh, failure of our constitutional system with the failure to even hold hearings to replace Justice Scalia. Uh, so we have, a, we have a Supreme Court that's essentially hamstrung with a 4-4 or the eight-person tie, essentially, uh, on most cases. Now we're that's hearing... Because the strategy, though, is to get it down to seven people. What they're hoping will happen is if they keep blocking... The Republicans. Yeah, if they keep blocking any appointment and Hillary gets to be president, they'll block her. It's, it, they've actually said something which is equivalent to treason. What they've said is, if Hillary gets the office, there's still going to be a vacancy at least now, four years from now. Which means they refuse, they're going to be blocking... They're going to use the power of the Senate to try and block the operation of the U.S. Supreme Court, which they've actually done already by refusing to advise and consent. So they are now in violation of the U.S. Constitution. I believe it's treason. I believe that the federal government needs to sue. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the plaintiff, the defendant in that suit should be the senator who said that that vacant, I think his name is uh, from North Carolina, is Burr. So Burr would be the lead defendant. What did he say? He said that, that we, if, if Hillary gets elected, there will, we, I'll do my best to make sure there's at least one vacancy. There continues to be a vacancy four years from now, meaning we will block any Democrat from appointing a Supreme Court judge. That is illegal. It's against the Constitution. And I believe if the federal government were to bring that suit against Burr and, and the three other senators who have seemed to echo the same thought, including John McCain, they would be the defendants in the suit, that they are engaging in, 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 in sedition and treason against the government of the United States, specifically the Supreme Court. That case would go to the Supreme Court immediately because it's two branches of government. And I believe... With the possibility of Clarence Thomas, who may be not smart enough to understand the question, the other seven judges will be unanimous and say that, this, that, that, that the Senate's power to advise and consent is not the power to block. Advise, so what they will say is the Senate, you must give your advice on a timely basis and you must consent or withhold your consent on a timely basis and the government will move on. Yeah. But you may not use the, the pretense. So who would bring this Who would bring this suit? I think, I think the Solicitor General should on behalf of the United States government. Against Senator Cruz and Senator Burr, who are the ones Absolutely. blocking. And McCain, who's also in there. So, so when you got two people on record saying, we're going to commit treason, we're going to block the appointment of a justice to the Supreme Court improperly, 
We're, we're going to ignore the advice and consent mandate in the Constitution, and we're going to block a justice. That, to me, is actionable. The Solicitor General should bring the suit. It should go to the Supreme Court. And I believe the Republican justices will also vote to make that illegal because if you don't, then that's the end of the Supreme Court. Well, hopefully we won't have to go there, but I like the, I like the idea of putting that up the flagpole if that if it comes to it. So we'll we'll uh, we'll keep that one in our back pocket. Uh, Ronaldo, let's let's move now to we talked a little bit about Europe. Is there anything else you want to say on Europe and the possibilities there? Of the, of well, the yeah, I think apart from the fact that they're through with austerity, you, you've got a, a right wing movement in, in Europe which is being fed by immigration. Fear of immigration. So it's a, it's a very right-wing. It's Le Pen in France, as you know. It's uh, it's the Brexit people in the UK. So it's also a result of their economic stagnation since the yeah. f- financial collapse, right? Yeah, because they, 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 they did something that Paul Krugman, Joseph Stiglitz, and Ronaldo Brico consistently said from 2008 on. You must stimulate. You don't do... Uh, you, this whole idea of, of trying to shrink austerity, bringing it, the, the economy back into balance by, by shrinking it is insane. And what happened is it created the contrast and the conflict so these economies were not healthy enough to absorb the immigrant flow. In addition, you have a political stalemate in Washington with in a Russian problem in Washington that's causing, what, now 4 million refugees, at least 2.5 million are out there running around currently. Potentially another million and a half could go any day. You mean in Syria? Yeah, from Syria. And, and you've got a bunch coming out of Iraq still, too. Yeah. And, again, and Afghanistan. And, and parts of North Yeah. Africa. So how do you solve this ha- massive immigration problem? What you, what you have to do is you got to get the world to work again. Real simple. You know, um, and by the way, I believe that the idea of having enclaves uh, in Syria, which would be safe and, and, and guaranteed by the full force and power of, of NATO, because NATO is being destabilized, is a perfectly legitimate approach. And I, and I think there are others I would talk about. So I want to go to the issue, though, the, the big one, because, you know, we, st- we have beaten ISIS on the battlefield. I mean, today, Iraqi army, which has been slowly being re- rebuilt, just retook the TV station and the edge of, of, of Mosul. So it's now literally in Mosul. And they will take Mosul. It may take another few weeks because apparently the weather's turned. But they're going to take Mosul. And that means that the last place that the, uh, this dreaded, feared ISIS has a foothold, is in their capital, Raqqa, in Syria. And that's going to fall too. So they, they, they came out of nowhere. They took massive amounts of territory. They've lost almost all of it. They're going to soon lose Mosul. And when they do, they'll be left with Raqqa. And then it will be gone. And it will be just a mop-up operation. That's how things should operate. Now, the fact that the Russians are playing such a wild card, I just want to talk about it a little bit. Before I get to the Russians, though, I really want to talk about Europe. See, Brexit has not yet even happened. So Brexit is the Euro- the uh, UK splitting off or Britain splitting off from yeah. e- the EU, and so so the pound breaking up the UK at the same time. It's going to break up the UK. The pound sterling has already fallen dramatically. The economy in London has not yet because nothing's changed yet. Because they haven't changed it yet. Right, they but they're going to change Article Fifty or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and and it's going to change. And when it does, you can. The end of the British Empire for the last few hundred years is literally over. It's over now. And the idea of Britain as a great world power is almost certainly over. And the, and the idea of the economic crisis that Britain's going to go through in the next two years, unbelievably horrendous. The people there will be so sad that they did all this, but it's too late. And why is that? They're, they're going to lose a lot of foreign they, investment. People aren't going to want everything. to Everything. I mean, because they're a tiny little island and all their customers live in Europe. And their whole gate, the whole reason for their existence was their English-speaking football. Not, not the whole reason, but a huge part of it. And you got 360 million people across the channel you can't sell to anymore. And the idea you're going to sell them now to America? Forget it. I mean, the, the pound will make Britain super cheap, no question. But, but Britain's going to drift into certainly second-rate power, maybe third-rate. I'm not going to say it's going to fall apart completely, although I think Scotland will peel off. And you'll see that Ireland will continue to maintain its independence. And I think that what you're going to see is that people in the UK are going to go, oh my God, what a terribly stupid thing we did. But in the process, they're hurting the economy of their own country and Europe. So what does Europe do to get back? They have to go now stimulate. And if that means we have to replace Angela Merkel, the architect of this crazy policy of austerity, then that's what has to happen. Why? The French banking system is literally on the verge of collapse. The Italian banking system has already fallen apart. It's being propped up with air. The German banking system, as evidenced by the Deutsche Bank, is clearly in the process of falling. So when you've got a collapse of French, Italian, and German banks simultaneously, 
You've got no way to come back from it. How do you fix that? How do you avoid that collapse? You have to stimulate the three economies, which Renzi, Prime Minister of Italy, knows and has already signed up for. The head of Hollande in France has said the same thing finally. And now they're trying to get Merkel to back off the German you know, the muscle. So I'm seeing Europe having to cure its own economic problems as it does that. The, it will give itself a rising economic activity, which will make people there less fearful, fearful of the immigration. Now, let's go to the last point, which is Russia. We've got to get a solution in Syria. Uh, Russia is playing its hand. Why? Because uh, the same reason they, they took Georgia, the re- same reason they took the Crimea, the same reason they've uh, got a war going on in Ukraine. As every dictator knows, and this is Vladimir Putin is a dictator, as people probably realize. They call him president, but he's a dictator. And Putin has a very rapidly shrinking economy. It was based on oil. Oil prices have collapsed. We're going to talk about that in a second. I've always said consistently, no matter what games they try, including they had a deal they thought with OPEC to drive the price back up to $65 a barrel. Didn't work. They succeeded in moving it from 46 to 50 and now it's back to 46 again. Doesn't work. At 46, Putin cannot keep up his adventurism. There's a reason why he has only one aircraft carrier, and it's now stationed ready to attack Aleppo, because he can't afford to. Now, the, the bottom line is Russia's in terrible economic shape. And what is he doing to consolidate his power? He's running television commercials on Russian TV constantly, talking about the fact that the Americans are about to launch a nuclear first strike. Scaring Russians into believing that the Americans have the decision, are going to make the decision to launch nuclear missiles. So he's training people how to survive. They're doing massive uh, fallout shelter drills. There are 40 million people participating or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's pure propaganda. It's pure propaganda. It's epic, okay? So that kind of activity by a dictator indicates that he knows he's going to have to tighten his grip on power. He's already eliminated the free press. He's already eliminated the business community. And now he's going to have to tighten his grip further. And because he did those two things, the free press, the elimination, and the business community, he's lost the ability of good business people to make more revenue from his declining economic base. And with the oil revenues down, and permanently so, he's up the creek without a paddle. So Russia will continue to erode. Now, is, is he going to lose power? Probably not. If you look at the history of Tsarist Russia, the Tsars were really bad people. They were bloodthirsty, cruel rulers. They killed millions and millions of their, of their own people. And even when they were running a, a country in, in, in where the nobility of St. Petersburg could rival Catherine the Great, the, pal- the palaces of Europe, all the people in the country were starving to death. So Russia is a constant example of where you can people can starve for hundred years, yeah. centuries, and the nobility can do just fine, which, by the way, is the exact country that Trump wants to create here, and what will never get created because America has too many deep-seated institutional values, which will keep that from happening, in my humble opinion. We're going to find out in a couple of days. So it's a little bit of an aside, but you know, I asked if you had a—you actually have been watching Russia for a long time and involved there. Is there anything else you want to mention in terms of the historical, the more recent historical uh, changes there? Well, yeah, I mean, you're referring to the fact that so, so I think people know on this broadcast that I was one of the four co-founders of the Gorbachev Foundation. Uh, I got to work with Mr. Gorbachev uh, right before uh, Perestroika and, and, and Glasnost occurred, and for four years after it, uh, I not only knew um, Gorbachev. Uh, very well, uh, and many, many meetings privately with him. Uh, I knew his wife, Raisa, extremely well. We were very close friends, and she always asked for pictures of my children because my fourth child, we have three biological children, the fourth child's a Russian adoptee. She would always ask me every time she saw me for pictures of how Daria was doing. And the last Russian my daughter Daria saw when she left the country at the age of six was uh, Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev <laughs> at his private office. So, I, yeah, I've got a long history with Russia, and I've been very involved in, uh, in, in many different ways. Uh, the, the bottom line is the Russian people are extremely well-educated. Uh, eventually, uh, they will change their system of government. They tried once. They came close. It fell back into totalitarian dictatorship. Uh, that will run its course. The scary thing about Russia is they have so many nuclear weapons. So will they strike out or will there be an accident? Like I've shared with people who know me, one of Mikhail Gorbachev's biggest fears never was that the U.S. would attack Russia. He never thought that. 
His fear was because their command and control structure was so weak and many of their systems so dilapidated, which they are very dilapidated even now, that by accident they'd launch a missile and the U.S. would retaliate with massive force. So that's really kind of where we are. And uh, we are in a, in, a, in a world of mutually assured destruction. It's mad, but with that many nuclear weapons, Russia is clearly a threat to all human civilization. Uh, and I, I think we have to make it a high goal to get our own house in order quick, help Europe get its house in order quick, and then begin to work on the Russian issue uh, in a concerted fashion. So let's move now, Ronaldo, to talk a little bit about uh the, the, the bright side, right? Uh, yeah. The, the global stability that we think can emerge, as you're saying, if, if we actually do go there. And, I, and if the world stays on course uh, on, the, on the economic and social trends that we're, we're on right now. Well, I'm going to go further than could. I'm going to say will. In other words, when this election's over, the, the, the economy in the United States is poised to be growing at 3 to 4% minimum per annum which is huge. When you consider all of Europe as a whole is practically 0.1 or 0.25% growth. So a 3 to 4% predictable growth in the U.S. is going to dramatically improve the, the fortunes of people in Britain who, with a depressed pound, which will continue to drop lower, I think, uh, will be able to sell a lot of merchandise to us. Uh, the Europeans will be able to sell more. Uh, the Indians are doing a great job of, of, of a rising economic uh, situation there. Modi's doing a great job. I think the Chinese are doing a job as good as can be expected to pivot from their uh, historical real estate bubble-driven economy to an economy that's increasingly multifaceted. And I think it's in our interests as uh, Westerners to help the Chinese continue to accelerate the growth in their economy. I think the, the hacking that the Russians have done of the Democratic National Committee, the hacking they've done of John Podesta, all of that is embarrassing but it doesn't change anything. When you look at all that hacked stuff, all it does is say politicians occasionally act like politicians, and every once in a while one of them, like Donna Brazil, does something profoundly stupid, like give away a question on a debate. I mean, you know, is that something that uh, gives rise to the belief that she should be executed? No, but she certainly should be removed from power and was already. So it's already played itself out, that story. There's no new information in the WikiLeaks stuff. Nothing's come out of it. And the, the whole idea of Uma Abedin's computer has emails of Uma's, which may be emails she got off of Hillers. We don't even know that yet. And if she got them off of Hillers, probably are duplicates of what the FBI already has, in which case there is zero net new value at all to the Uma Abedin connection. But it gives a huge talking point to the Republicans who are claiming incorrectly that there's a vast conspiracy of the elites to, uh, to control the election. And nothing could be further from the truth. What there is is a vast awareness of the insanity of the possibility of a Trump presidency. That's what there is, a vast awareness of that. It's uniform. Uh, and that's why uh, Wall Street is so petrified. It's why thoughtful people in the international financial community are petrified. And it's why I've taken the defensive position I have with my own personal holdings. So... The the upshot though is is really the part that I'm I'm most interested in in terms of that growth number and in terms sure. of where we're headed as a country that actually might be able to get things done. Uh, Three to four percent in 2017 is realistic. That's that's a big number. I mean, that's yeah, yeah it's very realistic. And I would say, and I, and I won't make that prediction for sure until the first week of December, which I always do, like late November, beginning of December, because I got to see how how much violence there is on November 9th, and I've got to calibrate how that violence is handled. And I have to calibrate, you know, what percentage of the Trump voters are so dyed in the world crazy that they died in the wool that they are going to take up arms. And how many of them are going to go, well, I would have preferred the other guy, but let's see what they can do now. So um, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker who are confused about Trump, I don't expect them to get violent. The violence will come from the alt-right, the skinheads, the Nazis, the, 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 the militias, the armed militias. And I believe there will be more acts of violence like that. But I fully expect that the remaining Republicans who do not consider themselves Trumpies, which I say is probably a third or more of the Republican Party, but certainly a third, will then make Congress with, make proper use of the word, will make deals uh -huh. with the Democrats in Congress to begin passing compromise legislation on a wide variety of subjects, and any of them will be like a dam breaking loose. 
because already the pent-up forces of rising wages, which are going to continue through 2017, rising minimum wage going to continue in 2017, inflation is going to kick in, which will give rise to, this is a big one, folks. For those of you who are over 55 or 60 and have savings, you haven't been getting any money on your savings for a long, long time, since before 20, 2008. You're going to start getting money in your savings account. So people who are like me in the, uh, in the twilight of our years, uh, all of a sudden it's going to pay to save rather than spend. So you're going to have a rebalancing of the economy. And then I think what's going to happen is we're going to get to change the tax code to make it fairer. So we'll continue to close that terrible gap between the middle class and the, and the ultra-rich. And I believe because of those factors together with some technological factors, which are emerging now, which portend vast changes in our healthcare systems, vast changes in our communication systems, vast changes in our transportation system, all of those and finance. are going to drive it. And finance. All that's going to drive it. And by, yeah, in finance, we finally, we finally got a watchdog that Elizabeth Warren put in place, which got its first casualty of the CEO of Wells, who should have been fired and frankly probably should be prosecuted. But he's already been fired. That would not have happened two years ago. So we got all this stuff spring-loaded, ready to take off, and that's what the forces of regression are trying to stop. It's almost like they're in the South and they can see that the, the northern states are freeing the slaves and they want the South to free them too, and like they don't want to have to free their slaves. And so they attacked at Fort Sumter. And well, they're attacking again. And, 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 and the smartest ones actually know how facetious their claims are. Yeah, but they're doing it anyway. I'd agree. On on the political front, one one other bright spot I'd like to share with everyone that you can check out. There's a book called Brown is the New White, and it's all about the rebalancing of power with with the demographics, and essentially how the the shift from uh, a majority white nation to a majority minority nation actually isn't going to happen until 2042 across the whole country. But in pockets and in swing states, it already has happened. And when you actually take the vote of the number of really progressive Democrats and combine it with the minority vote, if you could turn that out, you would have 51% of the vote right now. Uh, that, that's, the, that's the amazing factor is, is we actually are on the verge of, like you're saying, Ronaldo, uh, a real shift in the way politics works. And I think this is the – I continue to believe, even in the darkest of moments where – fascism is basically knocking on our doorstep, that we are a few months or years away from a really significant progressive shift in this country. So that's what I'm putting out. It's totally correct. And by the way, I don't think fascism is knocking on our door. I think fascism is pounding on our door. And I want people to remember, there's nothing wrong with making a Hitlerian analogy if it's accurate. And I don't use Hitlerian analogies often. But the Trump core Trump racist voter of, say, 35% of all voters, which is a pretty big number, bigger than we thought it was. But now that it's out in the open, thank you for bringing it in the open, Mr. Trump. We can deal with it. It's like, you know, if you, if you want to kill an infection, you expose it to oxygen and light, yeah. right? So what's, what's pounding on our door is rampant fascism. He, at 35% of the vote, he has the same exact statistical numbers, 35 or 36%, that Hitler had when he claimed the chancellorship in the Reichstag, 36%. And the rest, as they say, is history. So if people think that Donald Trump somehow is going to go from the buffoon that he is now, this clever guy who's used other people's money forever to, uh, to, to advance his own causes, who treats women like, not even second-rate citizens, he treats them like sex objects and trophies and, and, and has no compassion for the, the poor, people of color, etc., if they think that guy is just having a bad day every time he gets caught doing that, no, that's who he is. And remember, he had, for over a decade, Hitler's speeches on his bedside table and read them. So he knows what he's doing. And he's, he's been engaging in what's called the big lie technique. Now, I want to just share with you also, as, as a positive for, for it factor, on December 2012, I published an article, which please write in and get it. We'll send you an electronic copy. Maybe we'll even post it on the website, in which... I talked about this, this change that I saw coming. I didn't know that it would come about because of a clash between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump because obviously that was not in the cards in 2012. That was four years ago. But this, this article I wrote had to deal with the ascent of the phoenix. And what I described in that article is what the economy looks like and how business serves society in this radically new incarnation, which is coming, post this clash. 
It's a very optimistic picture, folks. It's a very exciting picture. So get a copy of it. It was called... May 12th. Yeah, it was May 12th. No, sorry, May, May 1st. It's called Ascent of the Phoenix, colon, Global Reconstruction. So please get a copy by going to our website and take a look at it. I'm a very optimistic guy, and after this election, I'm hoping that what you hear me say in November is going to be really, really optimistic. The other thing I want to touch on real briefly about November, uh, before we pass this point, is November is an opportunity for all of us to stop acting like sunshine patriots and summer soldiers and act like the people that we are. Our democracy, our way of life is embattled, so everything that we can do, we must do to turn back this threat. And we will do it. I believe we will. And, it, and once, we have, it, once we've done that, it will unleash these extraordinarily potent forces for good, which are about caring for each other, which are about restoring the biosphere, which are about closing the income gap from the rich and the poor, about reducing this aristocratic country we've developed over the last 40 years and turning it back into the egalitarian paradise we hoped for when we started this exercise. All of those things happen in November. But one other thing happens in November. What happens in November is we get a chance to see, for the first time, in a way with clarity we haven't had in many, many years, what it looks like when, having made the choice, we all say, those of us who are victorious, okay, how are we going to rebuild our country after what we just went through? And I find that that rebuilding process is going to be very exciting and is a first step in it. Please, ladies and gentlemen, go look at the cover of Forbes magazine in two weeks. Because on that cover will be a thing called Just Capital, which, is, which came out of a speech I gave four years ago at the Deepak Sages and Science Conference, and which has been building momentum and now is going to become the most powerful force in America for altering the way corporations perceive their duty to society. You are going to love it, folks. We are literally changing the goalposts for corporate America with this political battle behind us. That is going to take the spring-loaded economy even up higher. And don't be surprised if I, in the middle of the year, I say I have to revise my economic forecast upwards <laughs> from 25 to 3%. Well, all right. So, Renaldo, we, we promised the audience that we'd get to a strategy if they want to, in the near term, protect their assets. What, uh, what have you done in order to do that yourself? Okay. So, I do believe that, uh, that the country is going to rise to the occasion and is going to stand by its historical values. And I think it's going to reject this fascist takeover. However, because it's a 30% chance, at least, that the country won't do that. As I say, I expect violence on November 9th when Trump loses. So if Trump loses, there'll be violence. If he wins, it's all over. So I had to say, how am I going to protect my family? How do I protect me in the face of this? And if you know what I know, it's too, the risk is too great. So I have sold every single mutual fund I own, every ETF I own. Fortunately, I hold them in no-load funds, which means I didn't pay any commissions. And I have purchased all of that money has been turned into gold, every cent. And the theory I have is holding that gold for the next week or two, if I'm right that we turn back the fascism, uh, it'll cost me a few bucks because the market's going to rise, and I'll miss that rise. Uh, but I'll have the safety of knowing that the most com valuable commodity at that time on earth will be gold, and I'll be owning it. So I'll make a whole lot of money, frankly, if things go wrong, which is so I'm rooting against myself to not have them go wrong. But I'll be safe. Um, in, in my wife's accounts, I've converted all of them 100% to cash, and I'm in the process of converting them into gold. So I'm holding no mutual funds whatsoever, within, and I'll have the last ones gone in 24 hours. I don't tell everybody to do that to panic them, but I got to tell you, if I'm doing it and I don't tell you, I'm not being straight with you. So I believe that um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I'm, I'm going to play it safe. I'm converting to gold until I see which way this thing blows through. And I feel terrible that someone like me, with my sophistication, who's usually able to find a way to make money doing anything in the markets, has to take the position, oops, I better stand, stand down, let this thing play itself out, and then I'll re-enter the market later. Um, very, so that's a very draconian thing to do, but that's what I'm doing. So there's a lot of gold hucksters out there, and no yeah. one really knows exactly how to buy gold. What, what are you doing, and what's your strategy? Um, go to a, a good um, 
a good organization like First Affirmative, where I have a lot of stuff, or and, and buy a no-load gold fund. Uh, and uh, I don't want you to buy something that owns gold mining stocks. I want you to own a fund, buy a fund that actually holds metal or the right to hold metal, gold metal, uh, and uh, sit on it. And if it's a no-load, it won't cost you anything to buy it. And if everything blows over on November 9th, or the next time we do this show, I will come up, I'll, I'll reveal my strategy for where I'm going to be investing because I put all that gold back in the market. So stay tuned and hope to God that's the, that's the next show. Yeah. So Ronaldo, with that, um, is there anything else you want to add before we close? No, I think it, um, generally speaking, as, as dire as the situation is, and it is dire, that we are even sitting here having to have this conversation is dire that Europe has chosen austerity to the point where it's put itself into a complete destabilization pattern, that the British have chosen Brexit, that Putin has chosen to be to, to cover his declining economy with overtly aggressive military maneuvers that are incredibly dangerous, in this world, which is extraordinarily dangerous. <laughs> and there's an asteroid that just went by recently, and we're not even tracking him properly, let alone figuring out how to move him, which should one come at us. So with all these challenges, why am I optimistic? For this reason. For everything that could go wrong, and in some ways has go wrong, gone wrong, I see so many more forces for good emerging right now. I see so many ways that the universe is conspiring to bring us to a new level of human evolution. So I want to end on this note. I really believe, and we've done this over 30 times before, I believe we have crossed over. We, we, we are now living as a new species. Those of us who embrace what I call homo universalis. So we're the man, homo sapiens, or woman, who knows that's homo sapiens. We're no longer homo sapiens sapiens, which is the man or woman who knows that they know, which is reflective consciousness, which is also how we were born. We're now homo universalis. We're the man or woman who knows that they know we have reflective consciousness. And what we know is that we are one. We're one with each other. We're one with the biosphere. We're one with the cosmos. What an extraordinary time to be alive as the old Neanderthal version of ourselves falls away and this new species, Homo universalis, takes its place. Uh, I'm, I'm stunned by what we can create. And I do believe that within 10 years of people, as the vast majority of people, embracing this new future, which is extremely productive financially as well as in every other way, you're going to see the global GDP start to jump by numbers in excess of 5 to 10% per year. Per year. And you imagine what you can buy with that. So I'm really happy. I'm, you know, And I'm going to live to see that. Because this clash is ending right now on November 8th. The, the, the last battle of good and evil is being joined so that we, the Homo Universalis, can move forward without the drag and the drain of all of the baggage, psychological and otherwise, that we brought into this clash because of what we did for all these millennia to each other, treating them as other rather than as one. Well, with that, thank you very much. And Ronaldo, uh, let's encourage our listeners, as you have, to really write into us at info at worldbusiness.org. Again, that's I-N-F-O at worldbusiness.org. If you have questions, feedback, comments, or just want to send your thoughts, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, don't forget to check out worldbusiness.org in between shows for news and information about what we're up to at the Academy. Uh, with that, Ronaldo, thank you very much. And, and ask to be on our, our email list if you'd like to know more about in between also. We, we send things out all the time. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll hear from you soon, and good luck. And we'll, we will be back with you uh, in the middle of November. <laughs>